0: It seems like you're waiting and waiting and waiting on God to act. See, when I wait for a long time on God to act, I tend to take measures into my own hands. What about you? Well, we've been studying this guy named Habakkuk. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. Would you turn there with me again today? Or click there on your phone, Habakkuk chapter 2, page 785. It's between the book of Nahum and Zephaniah it's the fifth book back from the New Testament if you need some help um, that's where we'll be this morning and Habakkuk was a prophet and he was a different kind of prophet than the ones many of the ones we see in the Old Testament most prophets what they did is they received if you weren't here last week prophets received the word from God and then they spoke that word to the people and surely Habakkuk was going to get a message from God but he basically called a time out and he said look I've got some questions, God. There's some things that aren't happening in our world that I've got questions about. There's injustice all over, the, all over our country, all over the people of God and the way that the people of God are acting. And we're in captivity in Assyria and there's all kinds of injustice around us. Where are you at? Are you just idle? Are you just indifferent to our plight? Or go, are, are you going to act, God? And so Habakkuk knows a thing or two about waiting. He knows a thing or two about waiting. When we come to Habakkuk 2, he is still waiting. You see, Habakkuk had a question. He said, God, why aren't you acting? And God responds to him in chapter 1 and says, Habakkuk, you would be amazed if you knew what I'm doing, so let me tell you. Let me tell you what I'm doing to take care of the injustice in Judah and all the wickednesses in Judah. I'm going to raise up this pesty nation of the Babylonians, and they're going to judge Israel. So Habakkuk responds with another question. Why would you do it that way? You ever been there? God, why aren't you doing? And God, I really don't like that you did it that way. That's where Habakkuk is. And he says to God in his complaint, he says, look, you are too righteous to use the Babylonians, and he waits. When you get to the beginning of chapter 2, he's waiting on his watch point, effectively the the city gate, and he's waiting to hear what God might say. In a sense, the defense rests in Habakkuk's minds. He doesn't think, I I think, if you read the poetic language right, I think he thinks, hey, I've got God in a trap. He is indifferent. What is he doing? But God will respond, and that's where we pick it up today, in the story. And so let me read verses two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, again for us, and we'll see how God responds. And the thing you need to note is, is next week when we get to chapter 3, Habakkuk is silent. Habakkuk doesn't have any more questions for God. He's praying for mercy. And so this chapter is really important to understand the justice of God and how it works and how God is surely at work then and is surely at work now. Let me read 2, 1 through 4. And we'll just kind of work our way through this text. And I want to show you... Before we're done, while we wait, right? While we wait and we wonder what God is doing, there's really three important truths that come out of this text that are great truths for your life and for my life as we wait on God. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Here's Habakkuk. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say, what God will say to me. In response. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Write the vision. This is God at the middle of verse 1. Write the vision, Habakkuk. Make it plain on tablets. Chisel it. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to its end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, speaking of the Babylonians. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. See, the first truth we need to know when we have to wait, as Habakkuk did, is we need to live counting on God's sure fire word. We need to live counting on, by faith, believing God's See, in verse 1, he's taking his stand, and I think there is a sense where Habakkuk's saying, I'm going to respond to God. There's no way he can say anything to me. that's going to keep me from complaining again. And it's interesting. That's part of the scenario in verse 1, but the other part of the scenario is he stops talking. And the good thing about not talking is you can't put your foot in your mouth when you stop talking. When you stop talking, it's a good thing, so now he's at least listening. And there's a nugget of wisdom for us before God and maybe even before our family or our spouse. Pro tip, fellas. It's Mother's Day. But verse 2, you guys are a tough crowd. Verse 2, look at verse 2. He says, write it down, make it plain. And he's got to take a piece of stone and he's got to chisel all of this vision out so he's going to remember it. You know, when you interact with people, or you've got a contract, it's like, write it down, we need to make sure this is in writing, not only that, I think there's an aim here that other people like you and me can read this vision, can see for future generations what God would say to the question, God why aren't you working, why is there injustice in the world, why would you use wicked instruments to bring about your justice to your own people, and so I think this is a message for us as well and then verse 3, it awaits an appointed time. So it's coming, Habakkuk. You need to know it's coming, but it's future. It's the appointed time. I'm in charge of the appointment book. My ways are higher than your ways. My timing is higher than your timing, Habakkuk. But it's going to come. You can count on it, but you've got to wait for it. And we'll t- we'll, I'll tell you a little later about how long he has to wait. But it will surely come. It will do not delay. But in the meantime... Don't act like the Babylonians. They are puffed up. They seek their own way, verse, three, verse 4. But you, Habakkuk, need to live by faith. Live by faith, believing that I'm going to take care of this. And that not that so true for you and me? We are people who are called to wait. I mean, think about all the injustices in the world that you see. Maybe in your own life where you're going, God, I really wish you would deal with this. But vengeance is the Lord's, right? It's not ours, and one day we know that God will make it all right. You see, God's promises are rarely come early, but they are never, ever late in His timing, in His way. See, God's justice is not on our timetable. But until then, we wait, we trust. We live by faith, which is a contrast to the Babylonians we're going to see. You know that passage in James where it says God will humble the prideful but gives grace to those who live by faith. This is true and Habakkuk say this is true also in our day. You know it's interesting when you look at this phrase but the righteous shall live by faith. If you know your Bibles you're probably thinking <clears throat> about the New Testament. See the New Testament takes the words of Habakkuk here in Romans chapter 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. First to those who believe, to the Jew and then to the Greek, the Gentile. And then he says the righteous, he quotes Habakkuk 2 about justifying faith that comes with the gospel. And he says the the righteous shall live by faith. If you know church history, it was this passage where Martin Luther looks down and is reading as a priest in the Catholic church. And he's struggling with his sin and going, how can I atone for my sin. I keep sinning. How can I be made right with God? This passage, the righteous shall live not by works, but by faith. And it totally changed his world and began the reformation. That's why you and I sit here today as reformers of people who believe that we are justified, not by our works and not by the things that we do, but by faith. So Habakkuk's words are important, but not only is this about justifying faith and The way in which we come to know God initially, but also sanctifying faith. That's what we see in the book of Hebrews. We see that we continue to live by faith. So while we wait for it, your point is, we live counting on God's sure word. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who are you counting on? Who are you counting on as it relates to your relationship with God? God. Who are you counting on when it comes to the question of your soul? Are you counting on your own ability to make yourself right before a holy God? Or are you counting by faith on the one who can make you righteous? See, that's what the gospel is. It's a good news that you can't do anything about it at the end of the day. You can't change your sinful state, but God has done that through his son. That He makes you right before Him because of Christ and what Christ has done for you. And maybe you know the Lord and maybe that's a familiar message to you this morning. But I would ask you as a believer, are you counting on Christ? What are the things that you're counting on while you wait? What are the things that you're counting on when life hits the fan? Are you counting on Him? Are you taking matters into your own hands? See, there's such benefit to us. We know this, right? There's such benefit to us as believers in Christ when we wait counting on Him. Because it produces in us a perseverance, an endurance. It produces in us a dependence in which we ought to have for the Lord. And so when you go through things like COVID, the loss of a child, or loss of friendship, or you fill in the blank of the hardships that you have, the, the answers that you don't have in life. That you might wait for him. This is a beautiful promise for you. That by faith we wait on him. Believing that he will come through. But God hasn't answered Habakkuk's question yet really. Habakkuk's saying "How how can you use Babylon. This wicked people. To deal with your own people. You're too pure for that God. So the first thing that god does is he says hey what i need you to do is trust me to live by faith but he's going to show us here what he's going to do look at it pick it up in verse five and i'm going to read a bit here so follow along with me up here or in your bible verse five through 17 because god is going to deal with the babylonians because they are wicked he's going to hold them morally responsible for what they do and he's going to use them with judah to judge them this is our god he is sovereign and just and he is good he can do all of those things. That's the way he works. Look at verse 5 through 17. Let me just going to read it, and I want you to think about how justice will come, not just to Babylon, but also some of these things are related to Judah and the things that Judah, the righteous people, were doing as well. So let me read it. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. Speaking of Babylon, he gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him to say? There are five woes here. Here's the first one. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. He's speaking to the Babylonians. They're going to get theirs. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who dwell in them. Second woe, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, for you have fortified your life For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. The walls could talk, right? Woe to him, third woe, who builds a town with blood and founds a city in iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. Notice he talks about his own, he talks about the house, and he talks about the town, but look at this assurance and this promise that he shares with Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with with the knowledge of the glory of God, as the waters cover the sea. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand, this is judgment, will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Here's a summary. There are five woes. I just walked through four of them. He's going to keep Babylon. He's going to bring justice to Babylon, this wicked nation that he's going to use. And there's five woes and they span a number of different things. Fraud lending practices they were lending money off the top and they weren't doing it wisely by the way Judah was doing the same thing so when Habakkuk reading this he's going hey this isn't just Babylon this is us as well so they were fraudulent in their lending practices they were violent with their bloodshed they were conquering nations they were imperialist effectively conquering lands and the last one we'll get to in a minute is idolatry and so they were greedy people. They were greedy and it led them to steal and to swindle and to kill and to take lands. See there's when you think about God's justice you have to think really in two ways. You have to think about God's retributive justice which he often brings upon wicked nations that are far from him. And this is what he's doing here with Babylon. But there's also a restorative justice that God means for his people, right? There's a restorative justice. We talked about it last week, how the purpose of God bringing judgment was not retributive for the people of Israel. It was meant to bring them back. And actually after this, this is exactly what happens. If you go read Ezra and Nehemiah, the people return. The people repent and come back. But this judgment is for Babylon. And so your point is this, recognize that God's justice is often slow, but it's inescapable. It's certain. God will bring it about. And so, what, what God is doing, He's kind of throwing Habakkuk a bone here. And He's saying, I'm going to take care of the problem. I'm going to do it, though, in my time and not your time. And so, speaking of time, if, if God's word says something's going to happen, we ought to be able to go and find it. We ought to be able to go other places in the scripture or other places in history and go, Did this happen? Did the Babylon Empire fall? You ever read the book of Daniel? In the book of Daniel, chapter 5, Babylon falls. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? God used him, but he was proud, made him crazy. And then the king after, King Nebuchadnezzar, was Belshazzar, and he comes next. And when you get to Daniel 5, you ought to go read it this afternoon. Here's what you see you see the king and the people in this feast. And they take from the temple, they take um, gold and silver wine jars and they begin drinking to their own gods. That's never a good sign in the Old Testament. When you mess with God's temple and his stuff and you pervert it, bad things happen. And so after he does this, there's this hand, the hand of God that shows up and it writes words in Aramaic. And none of the people can read it, so who do they call upon? They call upon Daniel to come and read the words. And they were words of judgment to Babylon. And Daniel basically tells them, your kingdom is going to fall. And King Belshazzar doesn't think any of it, anything of it. He's like, hey, you interpreted the dream, you interpreted the words on the page, and so I'm going to honor you and I'm going to give you gifts. But guess what? That night... That night, King Darius shows up, the Meadow Persian king, and Babylon falls in one night. So does this happen? Absolutely. God judges Babylon. So here's a question. (laughs) Two questions. How long was it from the point of Habakkuk writing until Judah and all the things they were doing were judged by the Babylonians? Remember, Habakkuk's asking the question, why don't you judge your people? They're all, in all into all kinds of wickedness. It's a dozen years before that happens, when the Babylonians come. And guess how long it is before God judges the Babylonians? It's about, it's 50 plus years until the Babylonians fall to the Medo Persians. That's a little bit, maybe more history than you wanted to know. But listen, God does what he says he's going to do. You can trust him. That's the message to Habakkuk. You can trust that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. It's not going to be in your time frame. It's not going to be when you want, but I'm going to do it in my way, for my reasons, for my purposes. But here's a question for you about justice. Why do you think God is so slow to judge? I think God is often so slow to judge according to the scriptures because he is long-suffering. He's long-suffering with you, he's long-suffering with me, He does not wish that any perish? But it's not because he's idle, and it's not because he's indifferent. The prophet Habakkuk had the same question. It seems like you're idle, God, it seems like you're indifferent, but God is not idle, he is not indifferent. He desires to show mercy and grace to his own people. So here's a warning. It's a warning for me and it's a warning for you. Be careful how quickly you demand justice from God. Because he just might start with us. Be careful how quickly we demand justice. I want you to think about when you came to faith in Christ. Aren't you glad that God didn't take you out before then? Aren't you glad that God is merciful and gracious to you and to me? But there's some other takeaways here. If you're in finance and you're into lending money, there's some some word here for you about how you lend. Do you lend with integrity or not? There's there's a word here about how we pay people who do work for us. There's, There's a word here about pushing ahead and over people in our work. There's some word to us about taking what is not ours. See, greed and power is just as alive today as it was back in. The desires of our heart. See, God doesn't forget what we do. And He certainly, as believers in Christ, can forgive us and walk with us. But here's a beautiful promise in verse 14. Look at it there. I know I'm I'm giving you a lot today. There's a lot here. Look at verse 14. He's just walked through all these judgments to them as individuals, to the house, to the town. But what about the earth? Who owns the earth? For the earth is to be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I want you to think about what a balm of hope and assurance that was for Habakkuk. That one day, and it's still future, ultimately, that one day God's glory would cover the earth. There's an assurance here that God's going to make this all right. One day, and that promise is sure for us, and it's still mostly future for us. You ever watch the movie, like, there's a lot of movies that do this. The imagery is there for a reason. When, like, the evil white witch is in power in Narnia, what does the land look like? It's all charred. Think about Maleficent and different movies that do this, and then what happens What happens when the witch dies and Aslan dies and is resurrected? The land goes back to the way it should have been. And that's the beautiful storyline, y'all, of the Bible. In the very end, the Bible depicts Babylon as the world system in, in Revelation chapter 18. And the end of the story, Babylon is put down. And there's a new heavens and a new earth. And all is remade. That's the beautiful story of the scriptures That one day, that is our hope as much as it was Habakkuk's. That God's glory would fill the earth. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. This is a beautiful promise for him and in this text as well as for us. But here's another question. What's the root problem for the Babylonians? What's the root problem for Judah? What's your root problem and my root problem? And we find it in the last woe in verse 18 through 20. Look at it with me. In verse 18 through 20. So we've seen we need to live by faith while we wait. We've seen that God's justice may be slow, but it will certainly come. But look at 18 through 20. Here's the root problem that Babylon had that we have. What prophet is an idol when its maker is shaped. it, A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to the wooden thing, this is God's sarcasm, awake to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there's no such breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The third thing that we're tempted to do while we wait is to chase after lesser things. To chase after lesser things. And this is the problem for the Babylonians. The Babylonians' primary god that they served, at least in a local way here, was Marduk. What a great name for a a false god. And here's the thing about false gods and idols. They never give what they promised to give. But they worshipped this false god Marduk. and It was something that they made with their own hands and they were worshipping it. But do you see the rich sarcasm? Maybe some of you guys don't like sarcasm. God is sarcastic right here. He's sarcastic in verse 19. Woe to him who makes the wooden things awake, the silent stone arise. Listen, idols are worthless. They're powerless. They're not alive. We make them and we fashion them in our own image. And maybe you say, well, how does that work in the New Testament? Because I'm not making any idols. Like I'm not fashioning something and making it and worshiping it. Well, the New Testament helps us out. It says, when we worship the creation rather than the creator, Romans chapter 1, 25, this is false worship, this is idolatry. Colossians 3 flushes it out even further, verse 5 and 6, it's, Paul just lays it out, he says, here's, here's a picture of idols, if, if you um, are greedy, if you're covetousness, if you're prone to give yourself over to sensual and sexual desires that are not right, that is idolatry to me. And so as we think about idols in our own lives, we ought to think about it this way. See, when a good thing oftentimes becomes a bad thing, it becomes a ruling thing, right? See, most of the idols that we struggle with, present-day idols that you and I struggle with, aren't bad things in and of themselves. But when a good thing becomes a bad thing is when it becomes a ruling thing in our lives. So let me ask you this. What are the ruling things in your life? What are the things that tend to take your affections? What are the things that tend, especially while you wait, that you put in the place of God? What what are the things that tend to be your treasure? Questions that we need to ask ourselves. The problem is it's often hard to discern what our little idols are. But oftentimes our idols come to the top. They often come to the top when there's an emotional response to something, right? When something happens in your life and there's an outburst. Tim Keller in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, I would encourage you to read it. It's a great read about the idols of our day and how to deal with the idols of our own heart. That's what he says, if you really want to see your idols, see how you respond to being disrespected. See how you respond to... um, comfort being taken from you see how you respond to control being pulled out from under you how do we respond it's a good question but look at the beautiful assurance in verse 20 this is the second assurance that god gives habakkuk and he also i think gives to us see all this injustice is going to be punished and all these idols you don't really make noise. are running your life. Look at verse 20. But the Lord, Yahweh, is in his holy temple. See, this holy temple he's in, that means he's alive. And let all the earth keep silent before him. All means the Babylonians, means Judah, even means Habakkuk, who's been complaining and been grumbling. And so it's almost as if here God's defense rests. Remember at the end of the previous chapter or the beginning of this chapter, Habakkuk says, you don't have an answer for me, God. I don't think you've got an answer, and God gives the answer. That my timing and my way, trust me, don't pursue counterfeit gods. Let all the earth be silent before me. So we live by faith. We know God's justice will come. There's a warning not to turn to counterfeit gods that take God's place. So think about it in this way. If I'm just summarizing, I've given you a lot of information. Can God use the wicked as instruments to judge his people and then God turn around and judge the wicked themselves? Yes. He is sovereign. He is just. He holds people accountable for their actions. And he is good. not going to give too much away for next week, but I want you to look at verse 1 in chapter 3. I want you to see Habakkuk's response. I want you to see what he doesn't do. Look at what he doesn't do and what he does. God says, let all the earth keep silent before me. The only people who are silent in front of a judge when the verdict is read are people who are guilty to have, I think, Habakkuk realizes that he's guilty. Verse 1, a prayer. So there's no more complaining. There's no more grumbling. There's no more questioning. There's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Oh Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of these years, receive it. In the midst of the years, what he's saying, in the next 10 to 12 years, the next 60 years, which we're going to have to go through judgment. In your judgment or wrath remember mercy and so that's really when you think about for habakkuk and you think about us it's the only real right response god is going to judge and the only right response for god's people is mercy the call on mercy i don't know when you came to know christ or if you know christ if you're here today and you don't know the lord you don't know how God's justice and goodness comes together. Effectively, it comes together at the cross, where a just and holy God satisfied His own wrath for judgment and loved you and me through His Son, that He put His Son on a cross that you and I might have life. That's where God's justice and God's wrath come together. And you and I can receive what God has given to us through the cross. The problem that we have is that we're guilty and there's nothing we can say before a just judge except to ask for mercy, to ask that he be merciful to us and be gracious to us. And we do that on the basis of his son. 1 Thessalonians, got a Bible turn there. Kind of puts all of this together for us. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. God's word says this. About the Thessalonians, Paul's writing to them. They're wondering about when, G, when the Lord's going to come back. And he says this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you, so we're talking about the Thessalonians, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son. They're wondering. They're wondering about when Jesus is going to return and all will be made right to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, your takeaway this morning is this. We need to wait. We need to wait for the Son who delivers us from the justice that we deserve. And He calls us to live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for us. He calls us to remember that He's the great treasure above all the counterfeit treasures out there. To know one day that His timing, in His timing, and in His way, He will make all Things right. There's a story of a little boy who went into the store with his mom. And this mom and son had come into the store before. The kid was well behaved. And so the store owner reached over and grabbed the big box of suckers. And he held out those suckers to the boy. And he says, Take what you want, just as a way to bless this. Boy, and the boy didn't take, He didn't take, and so the store owner reached his hand into the jar and gave the little boy some suckers. And he walks out, and the mom's like, hey, why didn't you just take? He offered you all these suckers. And the boy said, that man's hands were bigger than mine. And we can talk about the motivation of the little boy to wait. But he waited on something better. Can I tell you that God's hands. God's hands are bigger than yours. They're bigger than mine. He wraps his arms around you while you wait. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're waiting on. But his hands are big enough to care for you in ways that your hands can't. So we need to wait trusting him living by faith. And the interesting thing about counterfeit gods that you and I tend to move toward as we wait and as we struggle is it's like we're putting our hands in that little cookie jar to get these little treasures when his big hands want to give us so much more. And so whether it is blessing or whether it is walking through pain and hardship, God is with you in your pain and your hardship. We wait for him. As we sang this morning again, we will wait for him through the storm. His hands are bigger than ours. We need to wait for the sun. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a prophet that was honest with you. Lord, help us be honest people. Help us take our complaints and concerns to you. You can handle them. We thank you that you're a God that doesn't condemn and doesn't slam us. He loved Habakkuk and cared for him and answered his questions in his own way. Lord, But help us trust you when we don't have all the answers to all the questions that we want. Lord, when we look around at our world, at the wicked world we live in, and we look at a nation that's seemingly morally imploding, when we look at a world gone mad, we can trust your great assurances that one day that your glory will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. Help us hold to that. Help us believe that and trust in that as we go through what we go through day to day. And Lord, help us be a people that know that you're a living and true God who dwells in your holy temple. That you're in charge. That this world is not left to us. It's not left to nothing guiding it that, that there is an end that you're in your holy temple and as we submit ourselves to you to the person of your son and trust in him and believe in him and Lord I pray for one who might not know you today they might know that they can't have their sins covered without the cross that the justice will come to them in a form that they do not want Lord I pray by your spirit that you would lead people to you through what you've done on a cross, through your Son, that they may know life, that they may know and have assurance of heaven and forgiveness of sins. Lord, we pray these things, waiting on the Son. In Jesus' name, amen.